Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. We're coming back to a text of scripture that we started last week. And this is a text of scripture that is talking about the false prophet. Look at verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, then I saw another beast. And in this section of scripture, there is no reference to the false prophet by that title. Just like earlier, there was no reference to the Antichrist by that title. However, it is extremely clear that chapter 13 is talking about the Antichrist and his henchman, the false prophet. Both of them are described as beast. And so when it says in verse 11, then I saw another beast coming out out of the earth. In our study last week, we said the Antichrist comes up from the sea representing the abyss of Satan and his satanic activity, and it's more imposing. This one is a false prophet, and he comes up from the earth, and the symbolism that is used in Scripture is that it is not as intimidating. It's coming off nice, and it fits with this being a religious leader that people are going to think is nice. He is soft. He is welcoming. However it comes off, he is from the earth. So as we come to this text, we remember that we are playing out an end-time drama. It is chapters 12, 13, and 14 that is telling us the story of how the events in the second half of the tribulation are playing out with Satan. And on your sermon notes, there is the list of characters that are playing out in chapters 12, 13, and 14. There are 10 major ones. And the reason we are given this is because John, John has basically been given the big picture of the second half. It is emphatic that you are astute and understand And I know I've repeated it because it's so important because so many people get lost that they understand that when John is given the little book in chapter 10, he is given basically a different picture of how the book of um, Revelation, the tribulation is being given to him. The first half of of the book in chapters six through nine He is given these like in a sequential order. But when you come to chapter 10, he is given the little book that allows him to look from earth. He's no longer in heaven, per se, even though he's going to have access to look into heaven. He's on earth, and he is telling us what's happening in the second half. In the previous studies we've gone into that, so I'm not going to repeat that, but each section chapter 11, chapters 12 to 14, chapters 15 and 16, chapter 17 and 18, is going to tell some aspect of the key story. The one that we're looking at now has these 10 characters that are playing out how Satan is trying to wipe out Israel. And it's very important that you understand Satan hates God, and God has made a promise to Israel that they will have an eternal kingdom. Fine. There's not going to be any Israel. 
And we've seen it when you read the book of Esther that so many of you love to read. And we've seen it with an Adolf Hitler who's tried to wipe out Israel. Well, when Satan, who is finally kicked out of heaven, and for those who are not aware that Satan has access to heaven even now, even now, Satan could have gotten a report about you, about what you have done through his hierarchy, according to Ephesians chapter 6, and he could be saying, did you see what Mike did this week? And I got a report on him, because we know Satan isn't omnipresent, but we know from Ephesians chapter 6 that there is a hierarchy of demons, and you are battling these demons, and you are to put on the armor of God, and Satan will finally for whatever reason, be kicked out. And I say, for whatever reason, we don't know what is the impetus of the final war. But in these cast of characters that's played out in chapter 12, Michael and his angels will kick Satan out. And instead of Satan saying, I am done, he is relentless, as I've been trying to emphasize, and he comes to earth to wipe out Israel totally. And perhaps also just kill everybody. And that's what begins to happen in the tribulation. And so when we come to chapter 13, we saw that there's this being called the Antichrist. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. The dragon, which was Satan, stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. That expression, beast, is a ferocious animal, and it represents the Antichrist. And we watch his activities. What is so interesting about today's study in verses 11 to 18, so much of the activity that everybody sometimes focuses on the Antichrist about the making of an image, the coming up with a number, we're going to talk about all of those things, are ultimately tied to this one that we call the false prophet. And so as we come to these chapters, 12, 13, and 14, we're going to see that all of this is happening in the second half this three-and-a-half-year period, when we get to our study next week, we're going to begin to see how it's going to come to an end. And God wants us to have the big picture. He wants us to understand what is going on. This one that is called the false prophet, I believe, is one of the three most despicable people in all of human history. And I'll show you that. I know it. I would say Antichrist, this false prophet, and Judas are right up there. And these, the, <laughs> this false prophet makes Adolf Hitler look like a Boy Scout. And we'll talk about that more as we are going on. As we come to this text, you look at verse 11, and it says, I saw another beast. Why the word expression beast? It is because it is a ferocious animal. And he will not only be responsible for the killing of Billions, not millions, but billions of people, but he will be responsible for sending billions into hell. Think about that. Think about that's the aspect of being a religious person who gives false information. He will send billions of people to hell. The word beast is used because you want to catch the idea of fear. Fear. A good friend of mine, I, some of you were in Israel with him, Tim and his wife, um, Carrie, were in Yellowstone this past week. And they were on like a five-mile hike. Can you imagine, you, you know, you go on one of these hikes in the national park. And as they were turned the corner, there was a grizzly 50 feet away. Because the way they turned the corner, 
and they were just basically almost face to face with a grizzly bear with a little cub. Cute little cub. Now, if Carrie would have gone up and said, oh, cute little cub, I'm gonna put my arms around you, that mother grizzly would have killed them very quickly. They had spray, they had bear spray. <laughs> I didn't know, I don't know. There's some of the hotels you go to, Tim was telling me, you go to a hotel and they put bear spray in the hotel so that when you walk out, you take your little bear spray out. Now, you tell me, would you wanna go meet a grizzly bear face to face with a little can of bear spray? He backed down, he walked out and he started warning other people on the trail, you can't take that right now. There's a mother beast. A grizzly is a beast. God has graphically given us this term for us to understand who this individual is. He is someone that is so wicked. And I want you to understand, when I use that he is perhaps one of the most despicable people in all of humanity, it's not hyperbole. Let me prove it to you. Turn over to Revelation 19, verse 20. Revelation 19, verse 20. This is the end. This is when we're dealing with the section that's dealing with Babylon that plays out in the second half. But this is when he is judged. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. Jesus Christ has come back. He's won the battle of Armageddon. And we read, and the beast was seized. Now remember, the beast is primarily the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. He doesn't get that prominence of being referenced as the beast, the beast all the time, even though he is a beast. So hopefully that's not too confusing. But verse 20, and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark and those who worshiped the image. So we're gonna see that's exactly what he does in chapter 13. So they're seized. Jesus Christ has come back. He seizes them. He grasps them. And he says, and these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Now you think about Adolf Hitler. You think about Mao Zedong. You think about every despicable person you ever heard of. You think of a mass rapist. You think of a mass killer. You think of somebody that is absolutely horrific. You think about people that have done horrendous things in all of humanity. None of them get to be thrown alive into the lake of fire. This guy is so bad that God says, you and you go alive. And I don't even know what kind of level of torture that brings. You ever think about that? What level? God is saying, you don't just deserve to get some type of body that can that withstand the, the, the fires of hell. You're going to go in there and you're going to get so tortured because I want you judged in such a significant manner. So I, I want you to understand this one makes Adolf Hitler look like a Boy Scout. Go back to Revelation 13, and as we're working through this text, I started to think of, like, how should this study of end times continue to impact us? And that's what I've been trying to get us to understand, because you say, Mike, you know, when we come to this, there's this imagery of the rapture of the church, and the, and, and the, the believers aren't here. And it, it's clear from other studies, I'm not going to go back into that. And you say, well, this isn't going to impact me. I'm not here. But I truly believe that this study of Revelation has a great impact for us today. And so what I wanted to go through was how the study of this false prophet should impact you. And the very first thing I want you to think about is 
when you go through a study like this, make sure you're a believer. As I went through this, man, I want to make sure I know I'm born again. I gave you a reference, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, check yourself. And it is something that we want to be faithful to do. We want to be faithful as believers to every once in a while go through the gospel. What gospel do I believe? Has it impacted my heart? Has it impacted the way I confess and talk? We know the gospel, right? Man's a sinner. Jesus is God and man. He's the only way. Jesus' death paid the penalty. His resurrection proved it. You can only accept this by faith alone. Five topics of the gospel. I begged you to know those. I beg you to know two verses for every one of those points. Man's sin. Person of Christ is God and man. Christ's death. Christ's resurrection. Faith alone. And Look at your life. Have you been transformed? In the secrecy when, of, of darkness when no one else is watching, is there a trust in you for Jesus Christ? Is there a transformation? Are you born again? Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he doesn't go into the kingdom of God. My heart's passion is for all of you to be saved. I don't want any of you to come to the judgment day and be surprised. Wow, I wasn't saved. I'm not going in. Jesus himself warns that many on Judgment Day will say, Lord, Lord, that is people who had some semblance of an awareness of who Jesus is. I'd hate to think that some of you just never took that extra step of faith. You knew it, but you never believed. Second, because we believe, be passionate about witnessing. Matthew 28 talks about the Great Commission. It is a commission that all of us have. It is something that I can't imagine any of my loved ones ever going into the lake of fire. As sure as we're sitting here, you're sitting here, I'm standing here, the reality is there is a lake of fire and people are going to be thrown into it. And if I know that I'm born again, it is inconceivable that I could ever be quiet about this. I want to be demanding. Sometimes someone will say to me, Mike, you shove this down my throat. Listen, you have to understand there's got to be a need to be clear on this. We need to be defined on this. We need to be telling people about Jesus. There is no second chance. Carl referenced no purgatory. So many people are counting on a purgatory. When you hear that a good portion of people are of a certain denomination of so-called Christianity and they hold to that doctrine, they've been told, you've got a purgatory. You've got a second chance. There is no second chance. Hebrews 9 tells us clearly, first comes death, then comes judgment. No second chance, people. I can't imagine if someone is truly born again, that they could stay silent about this and let somebody just go through life that they love, they care for, they work with. Look, I know there are people we casually meet and maybe you don't get into the gospel. I I get that. But for the people that we know, we've got to be aggressive because the world isn't telling them. The world is passive about this. And when we look at this reality, I'm concerned because I mentioned it last week that, right, few and far will be saved. 
wide is the path that leads to, 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 to destruction, narrow is the path that leads to life. And I, it's been really haunting me, the fact that it, I, I feel sometimes like I'm going to fail. And that I'm not going to see a lot of people saved. And, and, but it, I don't want that to take away from my passion to share. And I don't want you to have that taken away. I realize that I used the illustration last week. And if you weren't here, I used this illustration. And I want you to think about, you know, in the days of Noah, eight people were saved. Population experts think that there were anywhere from 100,000 to 4 billion people alive. And however you take it, 8 divided by 100,000 or 8 divided by 4 billion, the number is infinitesimally small. But yet some will get saved. And we know from our study of the book of Revelation that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, nation from all over the world. So some people will be saved. And, and, and I hope that before this starts that some people are saved. So please be passionate. So we're studying this false prophet, so passionate about witnessing, but we're studying this false prophet, and one of the aspects I thought about this is this aspect. When you deal with a false prophet, how do you combat him? You combat the false prophet by knowing the Bible and being a good student, being a keen Berean. And this passage there in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, comes after a very famous warning. I'm going to use the earlier passage in a second but Acts chapter 20 verse 32 where the apostle Paul is leaving the church at Ephesus and he's leaving in tears and he's commanding the elders and he wants this for the people he says I commend you to God and to the word of God of grace listen the only way for you to fight a false prophet is to know God's word and 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 I can't emphasize enough that if you're reading it on a daily basis, it is feeding your soul. It is giving you an awareness of spiritual truth. We're living in a day and age, and I know, I listen, I know that you're, some of you are listening to different people on the radio, different podcasts, but it's not even there. We are living in a day and age when Satan is constantly throwing out information information that is going into our airwaves it's going into even christian songs that are that are absolutely incorrect in their theology it's going into tv shows with the false theology it is everywhere and our neighbors and our and, and our co-workers are seeped in it and so they ooze this out we must be people who know the word of god and when i, I tell you that that this is an emphasis I never want it to be this big negative. I don't want us to think like, oh, you, you know, you can never visit another church or listen to anybody else. That's not what we're saying. I just want you to have your ears tuned because it's amazing. You're studying end times. You're talking about this one called the false prophet because that's what he was called in Revelation 19 and chapter 16 as well. They are giving information out. And this is the ultimate, the ultimate false teacher but God has consistently, consistently tried to get his people to be aware of false teaching. And, and I just wanted to run through a series, and you can jot these verses down. I didn't want to waste a lot of time in having you turn to page to page. And so this is a rarity. If you're visiting today, no, this is a rarity that I'm going to do this. I'm going to just give you just a walkthrough of five, six, seven passages that I easily found that shows the importance of how God is always trying to get people to be aware of false teaching. 
And so here he is back in Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, as Israel's in its infancy, he has just told them about the coming of Christ. You should all know Deuteronomy 18.18 is about Jesus. But verse 20, he says, but the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of the gods, that prophet shall die. God has, from the beginning, taken false teaching so seriously. Because I believe God knows at the heart of it, not only does false teaching ruin people's lives, it sends them to an eternity separated from him. And, and, and that's where we, we've got to be passionate about. I mean, if we see and understand false teaching in this light, then we understand why it's so significant to guard against it. Hundreds of years later, after Israel has not listened, they have now accumulated many false teachers. God is going to send a judgment with the Assyrians and with the Babylonians. And Jeremiah is writing about this. And he says, then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. What they continually do is they just make things up. And there is, and from my perspective, an aspect of frustration because you'll sit and you listen to somebody on the radio and they just, where do they come up with that? They just make it up. And, 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 and that's why when you hear something, everything should come back to the word of God. As he goes on in Jeremiah 23, he says, Thus the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. Now at that time, those prophets were saying, you don't need to change your life. Everything's going to be okay. God's not going to send any judgment. And so they were promising peace and prosperity. Very much like our local heretic continually, continually just tells, our, tells the people who attend this church that everything's going to be fine and this is the way you get blessed. And, and it's a lie. So they were telling, this is specific, the futility was that God was going to send judgment. And so they speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. Futility, it ends up in emptiness. That's what's going to happen to everyone that falls, a false teacher. The Antichrist is going to use a false prophet that will be the epitome of one who just makes things up. Then, this isn't just Old Testament. Here you have Jesus and Jesus is trying to warn his disciples as he's trying to warn them. He says, how is it that you don't understand? I did not speak to you concerning bread. He was talking about yeast and how false teaching is like yeast and it spreads through the bread and it just permeates all through the bread the yeast does. But that's what false teaching does. Hence the awareness he wants people to have. So Jesus says, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven is another word for yeast. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's my warning to you. Be aware of this. So then he goes on as at least the Bible goes on, and this is the passage I just told you about. The Apostle Paul, for three years, has been working with the church at Ephesus. This is a famous passage, and he says this, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. So he's telling the elders, you have to be aware, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So this is no small thing, the church of Jesus Christ. It's been purchased with the blood of Jesus. And he goes, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Beast, people. Beast. The, the false prophet of Antichrist is a 
ultimate beast, but these are other beasts, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw the disciples after them. Constantly within the church, we hear of false teachers, people that are all very popular speakers, and next thing you know, they're teaching something just as a little twist, and it's enough to take people down the wrong road. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. So I'm hoping I'm kind of convince you that, look, if, if in the end times, Satan isn't necessarily bringing some giant tank or some giant missile, the thing that he uses is this false teaching, and he's using it today. How do you combat it? Well, 1 John 4, 1 to 3, beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits. And how do you test spirits? You don't see spirits. He's talking about the teacher, the one who's proclaiming things. He goes, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So you have many religions that will say they're Christian, but they deny the God, Jesus was God who came as a human. And so that is just one of the many tests. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. That last line, you need to understand, you're living in a day and age when the spirit of Antichrist is very much out there and he wants to destroy you. So please, my thing is, if you have just gone a week without taking up your Bible and reading it, then you're opening yourself. You have got to be reading on your own, absorbing the word, taking in what we're teaching, and then also just taking in your own awareness of the scriptures. Just trying to get you to be aware. This is a battle. Satan is relentless. He's going to keep coming after you, and he wants to destroy you, and he has destroyed many lives, and he'll continue to do that. Well, go back to Revelation 13. I hope you look at those verses in context and see that everyone was presented to you in a way that was accurate. As we go into Revelation 13, what we started last week was looking at these characteristics of, the, of this false prophet. And what we did was we, we said he's the false prophet of the Antichrist. And I said there were five of them. And the very first one, he's a dragon. He's a wolf, uh, <laughs> greater than a wolf in sheep's clothing, because he comes in and everyone thinks that he's a good guy, thinks that he is a, a, a wonderful guy. And, and I tell you, as we said last week, we speculated that perhaps he is the Pope. And I told you this weeks ago, I told you this weeks ago, that there is a, a, a very big concern that the current Pope is going to resign. And major article, I think page eight this morning, on how he's a, thinking about retiring. So we're going to get a new one. And wherever, wherever one that's going to come in not knowing if he is the false prophet or not, but there's the very idea of the fact that here you have a religious leader who continues to propagate lies, that all religions are the same, doesn't matter how you believe, get baptized and you're in. All of those are from Catholicism. You've got to understand that. Then we have to understand that, that it'll be part of an unholy trinity group. What we talked there about is the confederate nature of of Satan and that he's trying to act like the Trinity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Satan the Father, Antichrist the Son, the Spirit, 
being the false prophet. Then we talked about the fact from verses 13 and 14, supernatural powers to deceive. God is allowing this. Why? This is a judgment. People want to live without God. People don't want to read their Bibles during the week. They don't want to incorporate God into their life. They don't want to live with Jesus. Fine. God is giving the world over. These supernatural powers will deceive people. It's part of the judgment. This is why there's an urgency for you to get saved today. Because if you're someone that's not saved and you're watching this, if you go into the tribulation, there's a high likelihood you're not coming out a believer, let alone living through it. Okay? So the idea is part of the judgment, supernatural powers to deceive. Then we went into the fact that he's going to have this image. And we don't know what this image is but it will have the ability to kill people. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak. Thinking of the fact that, you know, God is the creator, here is more counterfeit activity by Satan that they are able to give life to something. That's what's at heart here, people. And the cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed can't even imagine what this is because somehow, some way, as Dr. Thomas in his um, commentary noted, the grammar here alludes to the fact that you have an ability for this image to actually be placed places and if you don't worship it, you die. You talk about an incredible place of fear that this is putting on the entire world. So we went through these, but there's a fifth aspect And this one is a little more detailed. Let me just read verses 16 to 18. It says, And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And the he is the the false prophet. Okay? And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is that of 666. All right? So here we go. This is what I want you to see, and this is what I want you to grasp. First of all, what we need to understand is that now we're going to see, you fill in the blank in your sermon notes, he will be given a mark, okay? He will be the one to give the mark. And it, it, it is the henchman. He is the one that is able to get this done. You would always think it was the Antichrist that's driving this. And it was interesting, last night when we had the opportunity to be at the uh, creation um, meeting last night, Dr. Bergman and I were talking, and Bergman was talking about something that I found absolutely fascinating. I got this book, and if anyone wants to borrow it, I'll graciously let you read it, because I don't know it's on my reading list. But he talked about how in World War II that... Adolf Hitler, when he decided that he, or thought that he was losing the war, that he came to a conclusion that his greater passion wasn't winning the war. I thought this was fascinating. You got to listen to this. He thought the greater, his greater passion was not to win the war, but that he was going to divert all of his resources to wipe out all the Jews. And he wasn't getting it done. And, and because they, 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 they struggled with logistics. Logistics is the skill of how you pull things in. And so he went and he contacted the company IBM. And Bergman's got in a book on it. And it's fascinating how 
they logistically worked it so that all the trains worked in a more efficient manner to get the Jews to the concentration camps to get them killed. And so if you're interested in this book, I've got it. I bought it last night. Fascinating. My point is, how does that tie in? Is that, look, Hitler couldn't do this alone. People knew what he was doing. Antichrist can't do this alone. He needs somebody to come alongside and help him. It's not like he, he, Antichrist is the only, he's deceiving the whole world and no one knows what he's doing. This false prophet is one who's cognizant. He's aware. He knows what, what the Antichrist is doing and he's going to help him. And this mark is going to play a significant part. The word for mark here you might find interesting is it comes from a Greek word that means to engrave. Um, it was a term for the images or names of the emperor that, that, that they, when they put the emperor's image on a Roman coin. In the ancient world, such marks tattoos or brands were commonly given to slaves, soldiers, and devotees of religious cults. And so the thought is by many of the commentators that what, remember the 144,000 were sealed? They were sealed, we believe, spiritually. But this mark is going to be visible. And what we want to see here is that all will be required to take the mark. Look at verse 16. And he causes all. And you circle the word all, and that means all to be inclusive. There's no one that's not going to not get this. The small and the great. So I can imagine, like you see today, uh, somebody that is, you know, like a president or a king standing, uh, you know, in front of a camera and saying, look, I'm getting this mark too. And they're show the people that are on the streets, we're getting the mark too. Whatever it's going to be, whether it's going to be a tattoo, whether it's going to be some type of branding, somehow, some way, Look at verse 16. The small, the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves. They will be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And, and it will be some type of, of visible mark. Sometimes people thought, hey, this is the social security number. The social security number isn't visible. Now, when social security came out, people said, oh, Christians were fearful of it. And... and Sure enough, everyone now has to have a social security number. But I don't think this is the mark. Some people think that, you know, today is you, you, everybody has to have a bank number. If you go work most places, companies won't pay you in cash anymore. You got to have a bank number. You have direct deposit. I don't think this is the mark, nor do I think it's a vaccine. It is not something that is something that you're not cognizant about. It is going to be something where you're going to recognize when you take this mark, you are making a cognizant worship choice. You're saying, I am aligning myself with the Antichrist. And this false prophet is pointing you. He's the spirit of the Antichrist, and he's pointing everyone. There will be no place to hide. And this is where it gets scary, is because the mark will control all buying and selling. Look at verse 17. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell. No one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. All right, now here's where I think, I've often just like thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to get food. If I'm in the tribulation and I'm I'm not going to take the mark, I'm not going to take the worship, because remember, taking the mark sends you to hell. There is no reversing. And, and, and um, that is why it is so horrible. Um, golly gee, I can't remember the exact verse where it says, if you take it, you go 
into the lake of fire. But yes, there is a verse. I'll try to bring that next week. But the idea here is you take this. And so now, let's say some of you are sitting here and you go into the tribulation and you're remembering this very morning and you're remembering that if you take this mark, you will have to go to hell. So you're going to say, no, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I, I waited too long, but I'm going to do it now. You cannot be able, you will not be able to buy but also, you're not going to be able to sell anything. It works on both sides. This is going to be the ultimate government control. It's going to be beyond government. It's going to, it's going to be able to push everyone to the limit. Because when you're starving and you are unable to get food and, and you are watching perhaps your family starve, some people are going to break down and they're going to finally say, I'm going to get this Mark so that I can purchase food for my family or I can sell things so that I can buy things for my family. It is demonic, it is evil, it is wicked at the core, and, and it is not going to allow anyone to make a choice. You will have to either be aligned with Satan or you will be somebody that will be properly killed because if you don't take this mark, you will die. And you can imagine you know, people will be turning people in. And, and, and my son, when his senior year, he took, he took a trip to um, Washington, D.C. with his high school class, and they went to the um, museum in uh, Washington, D.C., the Holocaust Museum there, and he bought me a book, and I, it's greatly impacted me because it was about life in Poland prior to, uh, well, prior... 1938, I always think the war starts in 41 for us. So it was in 38, 39 when Hitler started gathering up Jews in Poland. And one of the things that was so horrific was your beloved neighbor who was somebody that you always maybe had your children play with, somebody that you always maybe had cookouts with, somebody that you continually maybe um, helped out that was this beloved neighbor. Maybe it was a beloved shopkeeper next to your shop were people who were turning Jews in. So if you're a Jew and you think, man, I can go into hiding and you hide on the corner house, but somebody on that neighborhood saw and they knew that you were there, they were turning their friends in. And, you know, you think, well, that wouldn't happen today. My goodness, people, we just went through a pandemic and we watched some people put, put, they put, they, they, took, they had kids playing at a park. And remember we were told, you know, can't have, can't play in a park. And they would put the yellow police tape around the park. And I watched neighbors that said, you know, there's nobody at the park. I'm going to put my three, four kids and they're going to play at the park. And then there were, we had neighbors calling the police on them so that they would rest their kids or pull them in and get them out of the park. You think that you're going to get away from the Antichrist and his mark? This should put fear in you. We're, we watch the human nature. People will do what they think is in their best interest. And, 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 and you have to understand, if they can't buy and they can't sell without this mark, and they think that you're going to impede their wealth, their, their, their livelihood, you better believe they're turning you in. And, and this is where Satan knows it, and he's using the Antichrist, and he's using this false prophet to control and put fear in the people. So what you're going to have is this mark is going to be related to the name or the number of the Antichrist. Look at the end of verse 17. The name of the beast or the number of his name. So there we got it. It's going to be something that's going to be visible. Somehow it's going to represent his name. And, or, or this number. And you say, what is the number? And that's when verse 18 comes in. And this becomes the speculation that many people have. 
And, and so what we put in there, because verse number three there is just a specific idea. It's the name or the number, but the number of the Antichrist is a mystery. And it's related to 666. Uh, and, and here is the fact that it is something that is unknown. And that's why I, I put out the fact that it is a mystery. One commentator said, many have tried to figure out the identity of the Antichrist through numerical calculations. Such approaches will always fail and should not be attempted. Phone books are full of names that might add up. The wisdom of counting the name is not to be applied in our day, for that would be jumping the gun. Instead, it's a, be applied to believers of the tribulation. The reason I think we don't figure it out, and I like that quote, is because right now we can't figure out what 666 means. I agree with all the commentators that talk about the fact that there is a, 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 an aspect that is almost like, like 0.9999 of 10, like if 10 was perfect. Um, one commentator said, the precise significance of the number 666 awaits the future time of the Antichrist. But it is noteworthy that the number is that of a man. Right? It says the number of a man. Seven, the number of perfection, is God's number. So you see in Scripture that often God brings up the number seven being the number of perfection. But since man falls short of perfection, his number is six. Man was created on the sixth day, Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Slaves were freed after six years of service, Exodus 21, 2. Fields were to be sown for only six consecutive years, Leviticus 25, verse 3. Repeating the number three times emphasizes this is man's number. Just as the thrice-repeated statement, holy, 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 stresses God's absolute holiness. So my point is, as numerous commentators says, it will be on you, not in you. It'll be recognized, not questioned. It'll be um, voluntary through deception and through intimidation. It will be used after the rapture, not before. It'll be used in the second half of the tribulation, not the first half. It'll be needed to buy and sell. It'll be universally received by non-Christians, universally rejected by those who become believers during the tribulation. And what we know is it will show worship and allegiance to the Antichrist, promoted by the false prophet, and the destiny of all who receive the mark will be eternal, eternal punishment in the lake of fire. A false religion on a scale, as one commentator said, never before seen is being led by this false prophet. And so what I want you to be aware of is that this is coming and we're seeing seeds of it. That passage I read from 1 John says the spirit of the Antichrist is around today. We have to be cognizant of what we're fighting. So here, this is what I want you to realize. The false prophet is worse than a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Modern technology shows today that you can control buying and selling worldwide. And I tell you, if you ever want to doubt the word of God you, and, and, or challenge doubting the word of God, I think you come to this very passage and you remember that John wrote this in 95 AD. We think it's around 95 AD. And I, I use this illustration. I use it again. If you got this letter and you were in Rome in 95 AD, and you were in Europe in 95 AD, if you were in Northern Africa in 95 AD, and you got a copy of the book of Revelation, you know what you do when you come to this passage? <laughs> what a joke! Here I am in Rome. You're going to control my buying and selling? <laughs> Here I am in Northern Africa. You're going to control my buying and selling? You can't even get a boat to me for six months, maybe sometimes a year. And today, it is not even something we have to wonder, could it be happening? Most of us have 
credit cards. Most of us have cell phones. Most of us have bank accounts where they can shut us down in a moment, in a second. You know it's here, people. It isn't coming. It's here. We're beyond that. And, and, and here, where people who were looking at this and saying, 95 AD, what a joke. What a joke. You talk about something that is never going to happen. He's going to be able to control buying and selling worldwide. Well, we're here. We are here. I have been in the heart of Africa. I have been in the Great Rift Valley. I have been to Siberia. I have been four degrees from the Arctic Circle. I have been everywhere. And guess what? Everyone has cell phones. Everyone has credit cards. Everyone has bank accounts. It's here everywhere. And some of you have traveled to these remote places. You've seen yourself. So use this to awaken yourself in an awareness that this stuff is happening. And we're moving closer every day. Don't be complacent. I said there were three things out of this passage. Number one, make sure you're born again. Check yourself. Two, start being aggressive on the gospel. Don't just say you got to come to church. I've been putting out there on the church um, sign gospel appointments. If you're afraid, you're intimidated, I'll help you. You tell your friend, would you have a, a, a meeting with my pastor? He'll sit down. We're just going to take 20 minutes, 30 minutes, go through the gospel. And I'll do that. And, and I know Carl would. I know Sean would. We care about people. We need to have people saved because we're rushing towards eternity. Number three, read your Bibles. Be discerning. The spirit of the Antichrist is continually, continually telling people lies. My goodness, one of the greatest lies that's out there, not only about beyond the gospel, is that the book of Revelation has no relevance and, and that you can't study and know this book. And we have worked through the first 13 chapters and we're seeing it's very much understandable. So my, my thing is, I just know that we have an incredible opportunity we are on the precipice of the next phase. We know that it's right around the corner. My goodness, Israel's back in the land. We talked about so many things. I'm not a prophet in the sense that I can tell you, oh, the tribulation's starting next week, next year. No one can predict the day or the hour. But my goodness, we know the season. And even if, even if it isn't for another 10, 15 years, and you get zealous and you say, oh, I'm going to follow Pastor Mike's exhortations to the T, and I'm going to make sure that we get the gospel out, and I'm going to read the Bible more. And now after 10 years, you look up and you say, well, Mike, you were wrong. You know, it didn't happen in the last 10 years. Well, guess what? You might have gotten people saved. You become stronger. And, and that's my thing. I just want you to be willing, be, be there when God judges every one of you. Every one of you will stand before God. It doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are. Every one of you will stand before God and give an account for your life. And, and so I'm just letting you know. So there's no surprises here. And I say this with love and kindness. You will stand before God and the person sitting next to you, the person sitting on the other side of you will not be there for you. You will stand alone. Be faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to know where the future is going. And the future isn't in the stock market. It isn't in America's 250th anniversary. The future isn't in worldwide peace. The future is in the world falling apart. The world is, is going to pass away. 
but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Help us, God, to have a generation of people that rise up and understand that we, don't, we are not going to be complacent about this. I ask God that right now, people are in their souls gonna resolve to make sure they're saved, to make sure that they're gonna be faithful with witnessing and make sure that they're reading the word of God. This false prophet will greatly deceive the entire world. His spirit is out there even now. Help us to not be a church deceived. Help us, help us. And I ask, Father, that anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, the fear of God would be greatly imposed upon them. As I spoke to somebody over the last two weeks, the fear of God means to be afraid. This isn't just about awe. God sends people into the lake of fire. God sends the antichrist and the false prophet alive into the lake of fire. Help all of us to not be arrogant, to think that we, of all people, all, or any of us, would not be subject to the lake of fire. The only guard for the lake of fire is a relationship with Jesus Christ, where he is your advocate, and he stands before the Father and says, I died for this one. I pray that everyone here embraces Jesus, and if you've never done that, do it now. Call out to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.